Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, it's Jackie. Andrea. Um, this was supposed to be a live recording. It was a live recording. But unfortunately, the live recording did not go very well. Technical things are difficult. Mm-hmm. There was like speakers involved, wires. I kept texting our friend and he was busy with another live event. Poor Phil. Great sound tech. And we... Great friend. Great friend. Um, and poor Phil. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for lending us all your equipment. Um, it worked for the live event. Yes. Like the recording part yes. of it, we messed up. But yeah. the live event went well. But the live... The Shout out to Astro Lounge. Thank you for having us. Dude, thank you, Astro Lounge. You guys were amazing. Um, they let us set up and we like did a live show. Some people came out. It was really fun. And then they had like live trivia right after. Mm-hmm. And that was awesome. And that's um, kind of a partnership they'll do with New Basin every once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of... Our, our foot in the door was... Our friends in New Basin. So, like, mm-hmm. our drinks tonight are based off of the drinks from that night, which are New Basin cocktails. Yeah. And then Craig and Lexi um, are bartenders at Astro Lounge. So rad. They were very accommodating. So nice. Um, yeah. Go check out Astro Lounge if you're ever in town. And then New Basin, as always, out in uh, Madras. They're rad. Um, that night, we drank two cocktails. Mm-hmm. So, Jackie did the Huckleberry Lemonade. And that's New Basin's fir- first cut vodka, Navidi's Huckleberry Balsamic, which is also here in Bend. And lemonade huckleberry so here's my memory with huckleberry when i would go visit my cousins up in washington we would go pick huckleberries and eat them yeah it was like this magical northwest treat yeah because we didn't have those down in california Mm -hmm. or if we did i was unaware of them (laughs) and i was a really picky kid so the fact that i was picking a berry and eating it was a pretty big deal damn gina yeah so (laughs) huckleberry has fond memories to me the drink uh huckleberries are super tart Mm mm-hmm uh, it was a little too sweet. I think the way they were making it that night was just a little, like, if I was going to make it, I don't know what I would dial back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we throw the recipe out there, give it a little taste. If it's too sweet, yeah, figure yeah. out the levels. And I, I think there's there's a kernel of a really good drink in there. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think my taste profile is kind of with yours. I like more tart drinks than sweet drinks, um, which is why I really liked my cocktail, which was the mint Kentucky mule. Yours is good. And it was a new basin, strong whiskey, mint, ginger beer, and fresh, fresh citrus. And they put it in a, a copper mug, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like you drink from a Moscow mule. And, um, it was super tasty. I was like kind of stealing everybody throughout the night and throughout trivia. Um, but yeah, no, that was such a cool experience being at, Astro yeah. Lounge because I think oh are we going to talk about the same thing? Why not? Let's figure it out. Oh, okay. Are you going to talk about when somebody heard our yes beautiful voices? voices? Okay, so apparently we're up on stage. I'm finishing up my story, and um, somebody, a passerby with their friend, hears our voices, and she's like, "That sounds like the girls from Killer Cocktails, that podcast I listen to," and she comes in. And just starts bouncing around in the front row. And, like, I don't know who she is. And I'm finishing up my story. So I'm like, cool, 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 cool. And I'm like, oh, this is somebody we know. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, they must know Dre. And you're like, oh, they must know Jackie. <laughs> and so we, like, finish up. We thank everyone. And we get off stage. And then Rick from New Basin brings her over. And I'll, and he's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Have you met? And I was like, oh, is this your daughter? And he's oh, like, yeah. no, I've never met her. I was like, <laughs> oh, hello. And apparently it's a local listener. Yeah. And she, like, found us on iTunes. And, and she listens all the time. She and didn't even, just heard our voices. She didn't even know that 
there was like a live show so going crazy. on. It it uh, it was such a magical moment. It was. It was so cool meeting her. Um, yeah, I just I really liked that live show. That was rad. Um, all right. So enough about that. I guess we'll get to what you guys are here for. Murder. The murder. Um, Jackie, do you want to go first? I will go first. So again, Jackie's cocktail was the Huckleberry <clears throat> Lemonade. Okay, so uh, for my story, oh, <laughs> if you go on Netflix, you can watch hella old Forensic Files episodes. Oh, hell yeah. And I highly recommend it mm-hmm. because it's dramatic in all the ways that it needs to be. They're concise. They're like little 20-minute little nugget bombs. They're absolutely great. <laughs> so the kind of like the crafting of my story, the uh, the narrative, heavily pulled from a Forensic Files episode called Without a Trace, I think. Mm-hmm. And the way that they put it on Netflix is it's like, it's definitely not chronological. They just kind of like make seasons up. It's just a hodgepodge. So I feel like it's, even though it's a really old episode, I feel like it's like, season eight or whatever they've anyway it's called without a trace and figure it out i recommend finding it and watching it because it's good um so that one again kind of like set the how i'll tell it but then a ton of details came from this website called dark side of america okay um but no author listed so it's just like a bunch of i don't know if it's like different authors and they're all just under this umbrella is it like a robust it, website with different articles there's other like okay. true crime stories and like it seemed it seems uh Pretty well-researched and mm-hmm. um, all that. Okay, so. My story has a really terrible part, and we're just going to get through it right here in the beginning, like a Band-Aid. We're just going to rip it off. Okay. Um, so I apologize how yucky it is. Uh, it's an oldie. So back in September of 1987, okay. uh, 11th-month-old Chad Shelton arrives at the ER, and he is bleeding... From the corners of his eyes, his nose, oh my God. every pore has <gasps> a little bit of blood coming. Like he's bleeding, like he's, all he's over just his hemorrhaging body? from anywhere blood oh, can come out. That's like, isn't that like a like disease? Ebola? Yeah. So his parents had been out, um, like shopping that day. Like they were buying, they'd gotten a like a shampooer, like a carpet shampooer for their house, and they were like out buying furniture, and they'd stopped and gotten like tacos to eat like it was kind of a normal day and then their little baby starts getting like super sick and ultimately the parents are also kind of not feeling well um but they're not exhibiting the same signs that this little baby is so they get to the emergency room and doctors have no idea what they're up against or what they're they're just like okay here's symptoms and we're trying to he has no fever and everything else that's kind of going on with him he should have a really high fever and he doesn't so it's kind of also confounding them so they start running blood tests. His platelet count is 19,000 instead of 140,000. Whoa. And his blood sugar level is 11, which indicates uh, severe liver, liver failure. Okay. So I, I don't know what the number is supposed to be. Kimberly, do you have any idea what your uh, sugar level should be? Okay. So according to Kimberly and Google, safe levels would be about 100. There's a range, like 80 to 150, but... Uh, yeah. So the fact that 11 is far off from whatever the actual answer is, 11 is not it. Yes. Um, so they're like, all right, so this is some sort of, like, weird, crazy, like, liver stuff going on. They try to save baby Chad, and ultimately they can't. So baby Chad passes away. Then, a couple hours later, this dude, Dwayne Johnson... What? The Rock? Not... 
that Dwayne Johnson. Right. A different Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> All <laughs> you viewers at home wondering. <laughs> arrives in the ER. Uh, and he's got, he's got like a bloody, like he's not bleeding out of his pores, but he's got a bloody nose. I think there's blood coming out of, like similar-ish. Yeah. And they're like, oh, and like at first, because I think you've got different teams working at like whoever's working pediatrics on a case. Yeah. Be, but there's this one nurse who's like, somehow either she's like at the nurse's station, she's talking to somebody, but she kind of figures out that there's similar things going on. And she's like, oh, we just like went through this with this baby. And kind of same thing goes on with this dude. And then ultimately Dwayne dies. Could you imagine being at the hospital being like, what epidemic is like hitting our city right now? Because you're scared about just like lives. Yes. What's going on? You're scared about the fact that you don't know what you're being exposed to. There's a lot that's very scary. Yeah. So then that nurse, because she kind of sees those connections, I think she's the one that kind of sets it on the path. Then they figure out that baby Chad and Dwayne Johnson are related. Oh. Dwayne is his uncle. Same house? Like Different they- house. Okay. Okay. So now they're like, what happened to Dwayne and what happened to baby Chad? So they're running all these tests. And again, neither of them had fevers, which is throwing everybody off. Yeah. And nothing's coming back in these talk screens. They're running the blood and nothing's coming back as like hot for anything. So they're like, all right, uh, let's figure out. So they've got like, again, they're like their levels are off, but there's no poisons. There's no virus. There's no, there's nothing that kind of helps them out. So during Chad's, this is during baby Chad's autopsy. The examiner notes that his liver looked uh, super discolored and appeared to have severe necrosis, like something that an 11 month old baby wouldn't have. Yeah. So then the hospital, like they're so they're like, we don't know what we're dealing with, and something's going on. Like I don't think they'd at this point they'd had the autopsy on Dwayne yet. So they're like, let's just call in the CDC. Let's just be like, hey, something's happening here. Yeah, we cover need, all our bases. Yeah, we need yeah. outside forces with more resources than we have. So then this. Uh, toxicologist called renata kimball so dr renata kimball gets involved and uh she comes out i think cdc is based in atlanta so that's how yeah so she comes out from atlanta and she starts like going through all the information and at first she's just kind of like this is kind of a mystery she doesn't think like foul play is involved um and then she's like but she's perplexed she can't figure it out so she's like flipping through a textbook and sees a picture of a liver slice and she's like that looks hella like the liver slices from the baby and Dwayne's, like, from their autopsy. And that's exactly what she said. This hella looks like. This hella looks like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm Dr. Kimball, and this hella looks like. Yeah. Man, it's like I'm there. Right? So, okay, so what is this picture in this textbook? What is it a picture of? Yeah. It's a picture of a liver... Of someone who's been poisoned. Ooh. You got the sound it out. Dimethylnitrosamine. Yeah. DMN for short. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So she sees this and she's like, okay, so this is what a liver looks like that is infected with or has been exposed to DMN. Okay. Um, what is DMN? DMN Ugh. causes liver cancer. DMN is used in cancer research to give animals cancer that they can then try to cure. What? So someone's working at a lab that has access to this family. So she sees this stuff. She puts it. She's like, all right. I th- she's like, based on observation, I'm seeing a photo right now. I'm just running on the beginnings. I'm thinking foul play. I'm thinking 
somebody gave these two people DMN because it's look, right, let's see if that's the case. So she's like, all right, so here's the horrible thing about DMN is if you've ingested it, your body processes it super fast, like within hours, if not a day. So now you can't find it anymore. That's crazy. So it's going to pass every talk screen. It's go- <gasps> So meanwhile, so like what, before she gets involved and she's like, they're like, what? There's this huge mystery. It's like when if you're watching the Forensic Files episode, they're like, what made these guys sick? Yeah. So they're, they're like, trace it back. They're like, all right, what did the parents, because the, the parents get sick, but the parents don't die. Then in Dwayne's family, like his daughter gets sick. The wife doesn't. Uh, there's some other, rel- so they trace it back. Everybody was all together hanging out one afternoon, like a week prior. Yeah. So they're like, okay, a week prior. What did you guys eat? What? Did-? So now they're going through Dwayne's house, and they and they go like they go through both. They're like, what was in the shampoo condition? Like when they shampooed, they're like they're looking at everything. So then when they're at Dwayne's house, they're like, Dwayne was pa- painting the house. What was he painting it with? Like was he breathing in the fumes? Uh, he had an air conditioning unit there, and it didn't have a filter, and there was a bird nest above it, and they were like, did the bird poop get in the air filter? Like they're wow. looking at everything. Yeah. And they're like, okay, so they narrow it down to everyone a week ago that drank lemonade got sick. Oh. So Dwayne had been the out. baby? Dwayne had been out painting the house. Ding, 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 ding. Lemonade. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kimberly. My tie. Yes. Is lemonade. You're tied to the cocktail, Huckleberry Lemonade lemonade they discovered that everybody that drank lemonade got sick first of all sorry that's a that's a solid tie good job thank you very much (laughs) uh so Dwayne had been out painting the house in the heat he'd gulped down two full glasses of lemonade so they're kind of attributing the fact that he died to how much of that lemonade he drank baby chad had a little bit of lemonade in like a sippy cup and he was just so small the (gasps) tiny amount that he had was fatal but his parents had lemonade Again, they got sick, but they didn't die. Okay, but what about this lemonade? Where did this come from? Dwayne had a two-year-old daughter. Yeah. She drank lemonade. Yeah. She got super sick, but it, but lived. Okay. Okay, so so now they figured out. So through police work of like looking at everything in the house, talking to everybody, tying in timelines, they kind of land on this lemonade. At the same time, or in the same sphere of time, that Dr. Kimball is saying, I think that these people were exposed to DMN. So they're like, how did DMN... So she's like, look, you're looking for somebody who works in cancer research that had it out yeah. for this family. Yeah. Okay, so here's the timeline that the police kind of create because they're trying to figure out, like, what what happened with this lemonade? Yeah. Okay, so Dwayne, the old the guy. So Dwayne and his wife, Sandra, they have a three-month-old son, Michael, and a two-year-old daughter, Sherry. Sandra's sister, Susan Connolly, also lives with them. So there's a house that's got... Dad and mom, little baby baby, and a little baby girl, a little toddler girl, and a sister-in-law. On Saturday, September 9th, 1978, everybody leaves the house at about 8, which seemed, in my opinion, is kind of a little crazy. Like, where are you going with, like, a baby and a toddler at, at night? But who knows what they did. So they leave at 8. Club. Yeah. <laughs> so they leave at 8. Maybe <laughs> they went to somebody's house. Who yeah. knows? So they leave at 8, and they return home about 1 a.m. Oh, my gosh. So now it's September 10th. At around 6 a.m., Susan, so this is the sister-in-law, she gets a hankering and heads to the kitchen. There's lemonade in a pitcher, but it tastes weird, so she spits it out. Puts it back in the fridge. Oh, why would you put it back in the fridge? Mm, this is yucky. Back it goes. No! 
So uh, then she has some, I think she has a glass of milk. She, so she pours herself a glass of milk. She's going to have a piece of pecan pie. All right. So then later that morning. So that's like super early. So now Sandra, the mom, Dwayne, the two kids, now like everyone's starting their days. Uh, Sandra and her sister, they make a bowl. So like they've got cereal going for the kids. So the milk, she didn't dump out the milk. That's right. I remember thinking that was strange. <laughs> she dumped out her glass of milk, but not all the milk. Here's, I'm going to, I'm going to read between the lines a little bit and I'm going to make up some information. Uh-huh. Is this her house? No, she's okay. there as a guest. Okay. Um, they went out at night. They got back in at one. She's got a hankering in the morning. I don't know that I trust her judgment on tastes and flavor profiles of the lemonade and the milk and the pecan. I, she probably is just like, ah, no, it's not hitting the spot. It's not hit. Yeah. So I'm not going to harshly judge the fact that she's like, yuck, and spitting stuff out, but not getting rid of it. Yeah. That makes sense. So the milk is still hanging around and the lemonade is still hanging around, but the pecan pie, mm, she ate it. <laughs> so now they've got this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She ate it. She ate it. Perfect. <laughs> all right. So now everyone's like trying to get their day started. They got cereal going, all this stuff. As soon as Sherry, so that's the daughter, as soon as she finishes her cereal, she starts, and this is a two-year-old. She's a toddler. She starts complaining that her stomach hurts. Instantly. Just like that. Yeah. That's that her crazy. mom is like, uh, we got things to do today. Get over it. And so she's not really paying it. She's like, this toddler. If you've seen you people with toddlers, yeah, yeah. you're like, I can't bend to every whim yes. you have. Like, get over your tummy ache. They you have, ate your cereal too fast. They have a lot of whims. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, we're going. So they go out and they're doing these errands and then Sherry starts puking. She's like, okay, there's... There's something here. <laughs> There's something going on. So they go home. All right. So while Sandra is with puking Sherry, so then uh, her dad and stepmom stop by the house. So she's out and like she's probably on route back with her puking kid. Dwayne is out painting the house. So his in-laws come by and they have some coffee. But this is when Dwayne, Dwayne drowns the two glasses of lemonade. Drowns? Yeah. Have you ever heard that joke? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had like a drunk moment. Just no. <laughs> <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Dwayne. Dwayne who? Dwayne the bathtub. I'm drowning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> My joke was Dwayne. <laughs> my joke was Dwayne drains two glasses of, but he's yeah. Dwayne. It sounds like drain. Yeah. So I said Dwayne drains two. He drinks two glasses of lemonade. Okay, so the parents are there. They're having coffee. Dwayne's had this uh, lemonade. As her parents, so she gets back, and as she's getting back, the parents are leaving, and almost immediately, so he like he drank this lemonade. He feels awful Dwayne gets super sick and he just starts blowing chunks so by midday both Dwayne and his daughter are in bed feeling bad so like oh the house is sick like daughter was throwing up out Dwayne like you know to them probably seems like a normal flu around 2 p.m Sandra's other sister Sally so this is the sister-in-law her husband no 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 sorry excuse me so she's got her sister that's in the house with them 
Now she's got this sister, Sally, and Sally's husband, Bruce. They're the ones that are the parents of baby Chad. So at around two, they come by. So you've got the parents there for a little bit. Like, you've kind of got this, like, in and out household of just, like, everyone lives in the same town. And they're all kind of, like, seeing each other. It's not like a party's going on. Yeah. Um, so they come by, and they're there for, like, an hour. They sh- The parents share a glass of lemonade. They put a little bit in baby Chad's sippy cup. Oh, no. Um, by that night, Dwayne, his daughter Sherry, Bruce and Sally, baby Chad are all sick. Yeah. And that night, like... Chad dies at the hospital on September 14th. So, like, there's... So, like, the timeline... So, earlier I said, like, a week prior, they don't... Like, so, I think Forensic Files was, like, a week ago, they were... I think it's, like, a handful of days. Uh Or, like, a couple days. Because then, like, people are getting sick. They're sick for a little bit. Then they go to the hospital. Like, there's just a little bit of a lag time. So... This is when police are trying to figure out, like, what did everybody have? By the time they figure out that it's probably the lemonade, lemonade's all been consumed or thrown out they've washed they've washed the picture like they're like i we can't find anything in there so they're like okay how did you like let's test the sugar let's test your water let's test like where's your lemonade mix yeah nothing's popping like they can't so all of that's happening and then you've got dr kimball who then is like i think it's an exposure to dmn like and this seems intentional and i think you're looking for somebody that works in cancer research so all of that kind of like comes together okay so then police are like, dude, uh, Sandra, who could have it out for your family? Like, this originated in your house. So, like, your sister and her brother-in-law came and, ha- like, seems like the lemonade from your fridge. That's how people are getting sick. Who could be after you guys? And she's like, nobody. Like, I don't, nobody. Nobody could have it out for us like that. And everyone else is kind of in the same vein. Uh, so then let's go back in time. Okay, so who could have it out for them? Let's go back in time. Back in high school, like 1973-74, Sandra, so this is Dwayne's wife, Sandra had a relationship with a dude named Stephen Roy Harper. So Stephen was described by people as shy, introverted. He'd been in a fire as a kid, and he had some scars. Oh, my gosh. If you look at pictures of him, like, it's not super noticeable, but obviously, like, a kid, an adolescent growing up, like, it, it, it was impactful to him. Okay, so she's dating this so she's dating this guy he's described as like shy introverted again because he had those scars like he's just kind of he's not super outgoing he's never had a girlfriend before um somehow opposites attract and they're they're dating and it's towards the end of 1974 when things between him and sandra are kind of like on the skids so she breaks up with him because essentially she wants to date Dwayne. And she's like, hey, it's been cool, but, like, this has run its course. How, you know, whatever she says to him. And he does not take it well. Okay. So to him, it was like he'd never had a girl before. And this he was going to marry her. And, like, there was no other options. Oh, no. So he's been out of shape about it. So Sandra and Dwayne get married January 17th, 1975. So, like, she goes from dating him to dating Dwayne to getting married to Dwayne pretty, relatively quickly. Okay. Um, only a couple days after the wedding. Stephen approaches Sandra and tells her she should annul the marriage. And when she's like, mm, no, no, I'm like married to Dwayne. It's over. Yeah. He says he's going to kill them. What? So June. So that was January. So then June of uh, June 21st, 1975, Sandra and Dwayne are out of their 
and like other family members they're all hanging out outside of sandra's mom's house so they're just like like barbecuing and like whatever and steven drives up starts an argument fires a shotgun what at the crowd of family <gasps> just like just at them and gets arrested pellets hit her mom <gasps> and her brother steven gets arrested he gets charged and convicted yeah and he does some time and gets paroled November 16th, 1977. Okay. March 3rd, 1978. So this is, you know, uh, half a year or more after getting released. So he starts working at Epley Research Institute in Omaha. Interesting. What do you think Epley Research Institute focuses on? Cancer. His job is taking care of animals the Institute was using in connection with cancer research. While he's there... He sees a clipping on a bulletin board that describes how a man in Germany killed his wife by poisoning her marmalade with DMN. So he's at his cancer research job, sees a clipping that's like, oh, look at this, everybody that works in cancer research. This guy that worked in cancer research killed his wife with DMN. Don't be inspired. No. So Stephen lives with his parents, and on August 7th, 1978, the family took a dog and a cat that are very sick and bleeding from every orifice to the vet. The vet says that they're suffering from some type of poisoning that he can't figure out, and both animals die, and a week or so later, uh, so, yeah, like, he has them, and then he's like, oh, I can't figure this out. I'm a vet, and who knows what's going on with these animals. Yeah. Then Stephen resigns from his position at the Research Institute. Hmm. Okay, so... Based on the the police start focusing on Stephen, based on like, so when they're talking to Sandra, she's like, he's a sweet guy. Like, she doesn't mention him being violent when he shot at her family and went to jail for it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, a former inmate acquaintance of, so we got a jailhouse snitch. A jailhouse snitch says that Stephen told him that he had access to lethal drugs and that he was going to use them to kill his ex-girlfriend. So he's, he shot at the family. He's in jail. Now he's talking to another jailhouse dude. And he's like, I'm like, I think this is outside of prison. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to get her and I've got ways to do it. So they're like, it's Steven. Steven did it. He's got the motive for it. He told someone he was going to do it. He works in the plate. Like all of these things are lining up, but the detectives are like, it's all circumstantial. We can, like, we might be able to sell that to a jury, but, for, like, for the DA to want to prosecute, like, we need evidence. And when you look at the bodies, n- nobody's been poisoned. Like, they, oh. yes, they obviously, like, showed signs of, I don't know how to phrase it, but, like, they were like, how we need, it needs to be ironclad. Yeah. So they want more than what they have. So Dr. Kimball reaches out to this dude who specializes in cancer research and I think specifically DMN. Uh-huh. And she's like, if I send you some liver samples, because I take these liver samples, she's like, I can't test them to know that DMN is in them. Yeah. There's nothing I know about it. She's like, if I give you seven samples that are labeled, but you don't know what, the, you know, it's like sample A, sample yeah. B. If I give you liver slices and I'm going to sneak one in from Dwayne, yeah. can you tell me if DMN is in them? And he's like... Yeah, because what this guy specialized in was the way that DMN impacts your uh, DNA chain. 
So he's like, yeah, it's going to create these spikes. So he gets these seven samples. He runs them. Only one sample has the two spikes. And he's like, this sample has DMN in it. And she was like, cool. That's the sample from Dwayne. Awesome. <gasps> so then detectives are like, boom, shakalaka. We've got what we need. <laughs> Again, a direct quote. <laughs> direct quote from detectives. Boom, shakalaka, laka. <laughs> <laughs> So now they're like, we've got the dude who used to date her, shot her family, said, told somebody he was going to kill her, had access to the poison. Um, all like, And now we can still like, yes, the people who died, that's what they died. So the friend that he told about, uh, there was another snitch, whether it was the same guy or not, there was another snitch who was like, oh, Dwayne told me that he snuck into the house at night and that he poured DMN <gasps> into the lemonade. Ugh. So what I don't know is if like, because the two sources I had, like Forensic Files paints it where it just went in the lemonade. Uh-huh. And then the other article I read was like, it potentially could have been in the milk and yeah. the lemonade. They're not really sure. Yeah. Um, but so there's somebody else who was like, no, like dude, like dude snuck in, poured it into something and they all drank it and they got sick. So what is unknown is like, did Stephen intend to kill the family? Yeah. Right away. Or is it? I don't know if it's more sinister. I think it's more sinister. Did he just intend to give everybody cancer? Yeah, and do like a long con kind of thing. Just like give everybody liver cancer. Oh my God. Because do you think he, he wasn't targeting, do you think he was targeting the whole family or just yeah, her? Yeah, you don't know who's going to drink it. Here's, yeah. here's what's crazy. Sandra didn't drink the lemonade. Sandra didn't drink the milk. Mm. Sandra never got sick. Yeah. Only Dwayne got sick and only their kid got sick. So Dwayne died... Their daughter has had liver issues her whole life Ugh. and is waiting to get liver cancer. Oh You've got God. Chad's parents. So Chad, Chad's dad was not only heartbroken that his baby died, but he just became incredibly paranoid that he was going to get cancer and became a raging alcoholic, was homeless. Like he died a homeless alcoholic when he was 58. Like it's like everything is so sad. Everyone who had the lemonade mm-hmm. lives in fear of the day they discover that they've got cancer. And it's not like, and like, and then people died. Yeah. And it's not even just everyone who drank it. It's the like ripple effect in everyone's lives. Who's affected. Like yeah. who, who are part of those families' lives. Yes. Oh, you got the parents who came over and just had coffee. And yeah. Did, like, there's a million. So Steven, they're like, all right, throw the book at him. We've got everything we need. They arrest him. Uh, I believe he's tried found guilt. Like, I think he goes through all that process kills himself in jail and that's that's the end everyone's living in fear and it's just sad that's great so there's nothing to reverse the dmn no it's like you've just been exposed to a a carcinogen i hate it and not only like just something like a carcinogen but like something that in 100 intentionally gives cancer yeah like that's what it's It's like yes Yeah. yeah oh i hate it yeah well thank you jackie my bummer to you. <laughs> um, we are going to take a short break and we will be right back. Cheers. Mm. Hey guys, this is our mid roll. Mm-hmm. It's me still, Estrella. <laughs> and Jackie. Um, we missed you guys on our break. Yeah. And we We've got multiple times been like, oh, we miss recording. <laughs> we miss each other. Yeah. Life gets busy. Um, we quite enjoyed uh, reading all your messages and responding to you while we are on this break. And a couple of you reached out asking if we had a Patreon or something that you guys could donate to. And so we actually created a donate button on our website. 
um, killercocktailspodcast.com. Um, if you're on the webpage, it's beautiful. It's right there on the right hand side. So beautiful. It's right about, uh, right above the like about us section. If you're on your phone, you're going to have to kind of scroll past the first couple episodes. If you're on your phone, you like scrolling. That's Damn, your life. You're like swipe, swipe. <laughs> <laughs> and midway through the website, there's going to be this donation button. And um, you could donate a dollar. 50 cents, $5, $10. $1 million. <laughs> Jackie. <laughs> I don't know your life. Damn. We would make the best show <laughs> if you donated a million dollars. And we would be so appreciative. But yeah. If you, if you like the show, like we had to go on a break for a, a million logistical reasons. Mm-hmm. And it, do, it does cost money to produce this. So every little bit helps and makes it easier for us to put out episodes. Yeah. Um. So if you love our show and if you love us and you want to contribute, there's a way. We don't have a Patreon, but we do have this donate button. And we would be... So happy and thankful if you could donate. I'll bet we'd say thank you. Oh, my God. Hell, yeah. If you donated a million dollars, we'd hang out with you. <laughs> we go to brunch. <gasps> we'd go to the fun center. If you donated a million dollars, I will hang out with you, but we'll have some sort of security involved. A million dollars? Why you donated a million dollars? Because we're funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll ride go-karts at the fun center. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Anywho, you guys, that's- just you know, we run a murder podcast. No second location. <laughs> We're gonna have our wits yeah. about us. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yes, thank you for donating. I mean, if the second location is a pizza parlor, I will be going. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you get me. The key is for don't tell them the secret. Oh, dang it! Cut that. <laughs> Bye, guys. Okay, we are back from our break. What's right, going so. on? <laughs> How's it going? I'm ready to hear a story. I wonder who did our advertisement. They sounded, in the mid-roll? Yeah. Oh they God. sounded real nice. You're in a weird mood. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay. So jumping into my story. So um, I want to talk about the references I have. Um, Wikipedia, as always, you my man blue. Oh, champion. Uh, Crime Library, um, A&E articles. Um, they did like an Ooh, extensive A&E art- yeah. over 30 yep, yep, yep. years of like articles and um you have adam uh joan jonas hillary shenfield and this man named robert rand who has been like the intensive investigative journalist since the beginning um and then this documentary uh that abc did called truth and lies the menendez brothers nicely done thank you i've had a hard time saying their last name i (laughs) i have been intentionally (laughs) saying it wrong to try and get you that's so evil. Because then I would. Because then you. Oh, <laughs> I have to say it one more time. So let's let me see if I can do it. Okay, so um, I'm going to tell you the story of Joseph Lyle and Eric Gallen Menendez. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, I'm going to jump into the background of their parents. So um, their father Jose is born in 1944 in Havana, Cuba. So this is like during the time of Fidel Castro. Yeah, yeah. it's not the greatest place to be. Um, growing up, he, he's a handful of a child and his parents have like a hard time reining him in. Like if he sets his mind to something, he's going to get it. Uh, when he turns 16, the family decides to move to the States. Um, and then in America, Jose just like 
has the mission to like live the American dream. He is going to be successful no matter what. No one's getting in his way. Um, and so he studies really hard and he gets into Southern Illinois uh, University. Um, at the same time, their mother, Mary Louise Anderson, a.k.a. Kitty, um, is born in 1941 and she's born into a middle class family. Um, unfortunately, her father is very abusive to the family. Mm. Um, their parents would eventually divorce and this really hits Kitty hard. Um, she gets into a depression and she becomes very withdrawn. Um, but she actually ends up going to Southern Illinois University as well. I think they're going to meet each other. Hey, guess what? Then they meet each other. (laughs) Um, They fall in love. They get married in 1963 while they're still in college. um, And they move to New York City. And both of their families, like, hate this. They didn't want them to be together. Um, So you're not getting support from the family, um, which really sucks. Um, So their first son is born. um, This is Lyle. And he's born on January 10th of 1968. Um, And Kitty, at this point, is a teacher. Um, but she's, has always aspired to be an actress. Um, but Jose is like, you know, now that we have a child, you're going to need a home, uh, stay yeah. home and be a stay at home mom. Put that dream on a shelf. Mm-hmm. This is your dream now. Um, and in the meantime, Jose's career just takes off. And what's his career? Do we know yet? Um, so he kind of bounces around, but he's in management for the most p- okay. part. So his first real break was at Hertz. Hertz rental car. Yeah. And he becomes, he like works his way up and he becomes a worldwide general manager. Um, he earns a reputation for being very abusive to his employees, though. Like verbally or physically? Uh, uh, verbally. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, shouldn't be yeah. people either, but. <laughs> um, he then becomes execu- executive vice president and chief operating officer for RCA Records Worldwide Operations. Oh, damn. Um, and during this time, his like. Sta- and this is like in the late 60s, early 70s, probably? Late. 80, like mid 80s. By the time he's at yeah. RCA. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, his record sales went like through the roof. He was like making money for the company. Yeah. But they didn't know that what he was actually doing was um, sending a large shipment quantities of albums to the stores before they ordered them. So he was sh- shipping them, making it look like that he was getting a lot of orders, but they weren't. And so there was a lot of back orders. So in 1986 alone, RCA was forced to honor $25 million in returned albums. Whoa. Yeah. He was just like, you're going to buy it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just send it to you and I'll, I'll invoice you. You can't do that. I know. It blew up in his face. Mm-hmm. All right. So then the family moves to New Jersey and their second son, Eric, is born on November 27th of 1970. Um, so we're like backtracking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but both brothers then start attending Princeton Day School. Mm. Um, and the boys become very spoiled. This is in New Jersey or this is probably... New Jersey. LA, okay. Yeah. Because um, they're going to Princeton Day School here. And then... Um, so. The family is very wealthy and have their new money, like in this old money kind of mm-hmm. town. And the boys become very spoiled. They essentially get whatever they want. But at the same time, they are ac- held accountable for a lot of their actions. Um, so father, uh, their father sees them kind of like not as his children, but as objects to kind of like personify their wealth. Okay. And he's like, you will be perfect individuals. You will be the American dream. Yeah. Um, Failure is not an option. Exactly. Um. And both brothers develop stutters and stomach pains, and um, they start having this habit of grinding their teeth mm. because of, like, the pressure from their dad. And um, teachers at the Princeton Day School felt that both Lyle and Eric had learning problems, but Jose would not accept his son's flaws. Mm, and charter. Mm-hmm, and so uh, both parents start doing their homework for them. Uh, 
yeah. So, like, their homework's perfect, and then they go in and take the test, and, and, they, they, don't. and they fail. Funny how that works. Mm-hmm. And so... How can you be so short-sighted? I think you just... You need to get through that moment. So, you're like, this... I, yeah, I know. Yeah. But, again, how could you be yeah. that? Yeah. And so, teachers also notice that the brothers are a lot more immature than their classmates. And at age 14, Lyle is um, still wetting the bed, and he's playing with stuffed animals. Um, Lyle's the older brother. Mm-hmm. Which is a red flag for me, um, because those are kind of like re- um, regressive mm-hmm. um, actions. Bedwetting is worth looking into to understand, because I think there's two, I think there are, there's like mental and regressive, but then I also feel like that can be a very just physiological thing mm-hmm. that probably has severe implications on how you emotionally process that. Yeah. Because you know that's a thing that babies do. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know what the ratio is of... Yeah, something definitely... But, but t- interesting, because it comes up in story, you know, mm-hmm. it comes up. Um, <clears throat> And so as they're growing up, their father's like, you're going to, you know, make your way in this family. You're going to make something of yourself. And so uh, he signs them up for tennis. And he's like, you guys are going to be tennis stars. And they're actually really good at tennis, but not very good in school. And so when it's time for Lyle to go to college, um, Jose's like, you're going to go to Princeton. And, but Lyle didn't have like the great. He couldn't get in. And so um, uh, his father ended up doing like a $50,000 donation to get him into the school. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then in 1986, the family moves to Calabasas, California. So didn't he go to Pr- Princeton? Yeah, he's in Princeton. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Because he, he was really good at tennis. So they're like, yeah. with tennis and the okay, donation. Okay, it somehow... Yeah. yeah. Um, so the rest of the family is in Calabasas and um, because they need to move there for Jose's career. And he is now uh, president of Live Entertainment. Is that what I think? I don't know. What do you think? uh live entertainment i think they do movies i think they did they they were the ones who did the rambo movies okay yeah i might i might be thinking of live nation Mm. ticket Uh, ticket sales and oh oh yeah yeah. no um so when they move there they end up moving up into beverly hills and they get this like four million dollar mansion that's just gorgeous and it has like 23 rooms and tennis courts um prince and elton john actually used to live there to kind of give you a is feel. Is this dude that rich? Or is he in debt up to his eyeballs and just knows how to like balance the books enough to live this lifestyle? No, they're, they're relatively rich. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Eric starts attending uh, high school in Calabasas. Uh, again, he's just an average, not just, he's an average student. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's really good at tennis and he's actually ranked 44th in the nation for 18 and under players. Hmm. Um, he finally starts making his own friends because Lyle's kind of out of the picture. Um, and he becomes best friends with What's this. What's the age of their, like... Um, they- he's 18 when Lyle's 21. So a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so he meets this... Uh, Eric meets this kid, Craig, and they just really hit it off. And Craig and Eric start writing screenplays in their uh, spare time. And they write one um, in particular called... So L.I. <laughs> so L.I. Uh, they write one screenplay called Friends. And... Uh, I think I've seen that show. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so the script is 62 pages long. It's a thriller. And it's about this son who reads his parents' will and realizes that when they die, he's going to inherit $157 million. 
And so the son then murders everyone so he could get the inheritance. Uh-huh. Um, and in the end, he ends up killing himself as well. In this script. In the script. Yeah. He's in high school? Mm-hmm. Which isn't, like, when I was in middle school, I was I get, writing murder stories. Knowing what happens, stories. I yeah. get that that's very inflammatory. Mm-hmm. But I also, like, how many, uh, you know. Yeah. It also could be incredibly normal, especially in L.A. Yeah, L.A. Um, so in the meantime, Lyle's back at Princeton. Um, and he, he does come home a lot, like, on weekends and stuff. Um, yeah, I do his laundry. Yeah. <laughs> from across country. Um, but during his freshman year, he's placed on academic probation for poor grades and attendance. And he's actually um, suspended after being accused of plagiarism. Because he's plagiarizing. Yes. Yeah. You know he is. Yes, 100%. He, he was. Um, so, you know, Jose is not very happy about this. No. And so Lyle flies home. Or well, I mean, Jose is doing his homework, probably. <laughs> from afar. <laughs> um, so Lyle comes back uh, to Calabasas um, while he's on the suspension. And, you know, he's got a lot of free time on his hand and hands. And so in July of 1988, Eric and Lyle begin breaking into homes in Calabasas with their friends. So, so it, crazy. It's this game where... It's just a bunch of teenage boys. They get together. They break into houses. They don't steal anything at first. They, they're they, just breaking in. Yeah. They're like, oh, if we could, we could steal that. And like, how would you do it? What a trip. Mm-hmm. What a trip. Makes me think of uh, Edward, Edward Forty Hands, Edward Scissorhands, uh-huh. when they all break it. Remember when they like go and break into that dude's, you don't. No. No. <laughs> a bunch of teenagers breaking into a house. Oh. Made me think of that. Crazy. <laughs> If you know what I was talking about, <laughs> um, it would have made more sense. But of course, eventually this escalates. Um, yeah. And like... Because well, they're like, we could steal this. We could. Car. Let's do it. And so they end up getting like a moving van, essentially, and they pull up to a house and just kind of clear it out. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so the first house that they hit, they uh, stole like $100,000 worth of stuff. Okay. And so they finally get caught. And um, Eric is a juvenile, and so they kind of have him up for it and uh, and no previous record. And so Eric actually starts doing community service because of it. And um, but both brothers um, have to go um, see a psychologist just to see like they have to go to counseling. Yeah. Um, In the meantime, um, the father, Jose, starts going around to all the families that got hit. And he's like, here's money. Whatever you want, I'll write a check for you. Don't let this hit the media. Yeah. Um, And he was actually more upset with the brothers because they got caught. Than that they did it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you're definitely not leaders. This shows you're not leaders. This is rife for a television miniseries. Yeah, definitely. Um, so kind of to paint a picture of Lyle a little bit more, um, both brothers are, you know, are really good looking. Um, and Lyle starts dating like Victoria's Secret models and he's kind of doing this playboy lifestyle Mm -hmm. on the side and his parents do not agree with it. So they cut him off, um, with their credit cards and they're like, "Mm -mm." I would think that they would agree with it because of the showiness of it, but maybe not. No, because that they don't want him to be showy. They want him to be successful. They want him to go to Princeton. They want him to have okay. a, like right. a girl, good girl. Yeah, quote, yeah, quote. yeah. Um, and then Eric is like modeling on the side, like very lightweight, like um, very amateur. And again, Jose is just like catalog work. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jose is not happy and he starts accusing Eric of being gay, which in his mind was not okay. Uh Um, And then Kitty finds out that Jose um, has been having an eight-year affair and um, with a woman back in New York. 
And so Kitty's world is kind of crumbling at this point. The boys are kind of going out of control. Um, what she doesn't know is that Jose also has another woman on the side in L.A. And, he, and he's also having sex with sex workers on the side. Insatiable. Uh-huh. Um, and so... Um, because she's so mad about what's like everything yeah, that's yeah, going yeah. on and she can't have like control over the boys, <clears throat> she decides I'm going to take the boys out of the will. And so she pulls up the will on her computer one day and her friends. But why is she doing that? The boys are getting out of control. Uh, Lyle got kicked out of Princeton. Got it. He's so, been, they, they stole. so she doesn't just quietly take them out of the will. No. To her, that's a consequence. Mm-hmm. And she's saying like, you're being crazy. Mm-hmm. We're taking you out of the will. So she's not saying it to their face. So she's at her computer she's uh changing the will and her friend is over and she's like kitty what are you doing she's like i'm taking the boys out though the will they like can't handle this like money and she's like lyle's down the hall like i can see lyle he can hear us and she's like that's fine he can hear he needs to know that he's not getting any of this money so she's not like saying it to them but she is. yeah but she doesn't care that they hear okay. overhear well, this in my mind to quietly do it does no nothing yeah does nothing yeah um so Kitty's uh, psychiatrist recommends that the boy see Dr. Ozeal. And shortly after Eric starts treatment with uh, Dr. Ozeal, he gives permission for him to discuss the contents of his sessions with uh, his parents. And so on July 19th of 1989, Kitty goes to her therapist and tells him that she fears that her sons are narcissistic and exhibit signs that they are sociopaths. Is she concerned about her husband at all? Mm, that doesn't come up because he kind of seems a little bit narcissistic narcissistic as well yeah 100 <laughs> percent. okay um but she is she's concerned about her kids because she, her, this other psychiatrist is telling her about their sessions yeah so kitty begins to lock the door to her bedroom at night oh she's scared mm-hmm. she keeps two 22 rifles in her closet and she does not allow lyle or eric to have keys to the house and when the brothers go out at night um, they have to wake her up so she could come unlock the door and let them in. Because they live there, but they're not allowed to have keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one night, Kitty takes too many Valiums and she's rushed to the hospital. Whoa. And um, this is a just a mess. staff at the hospital think she might have been trying to commit suicide. Okay. But it's not confirmed. Um, on Tuesday, August 15th, uh, Kitty and Lyle get into this heated argument and Kitty starts hitting Lyle and she grabs his hair and pulls off a toupee. What? Yeah. And Eric's there. And Eric's like, what? what? Like, Because Lyle's like 20. Which 21. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can use your, you know. But like, Eric is Lyle's brother. He had no idea that his brother wore to toupee. He had no idea he was had balding. He lost, yeah, he, he was starting to lose his hair. So he was losing his hair and Jose saw it and he's like, this is not acceptable. Get out of here. You have to wear a toupee. And so he made oh Lyle God. wear oh. a toupee. Mm-hmm. No one can be surprised by any of what happens. Mm-hmm. And so um, that night, the brothers get to talking and they're, they're like, it's just so crazy how many secrets are within our family. Yeah. Um, and this is obviously from the boys' um yeah tell as you're telling me all this mm-hmm. i'm like i'm curious where some of the information comes from mm-hmm. because some of you like that could only come from within the family mm-hmm. so it had to have come from the boys and obviously like if they're trying like spinning their side or yeah. their truth yeah. yeah and like uh, a lot of this comes from that documentary i um talked about in the beginning so you some of this comes from kitty's friends and okay. some of this comes from the boys Got and it. yeah um so the boys start talking and um eric admits to lyle that their father has been sexually abusing him eric admits to younger brother Mm -hmm. admits to older brother and then lyle explains that he has also 
been sexually abused by their father. Does this come... Uh, maybe we'll get there when we talk about the trial. Does this come up with, like, is that ever questioned? Do people... People definitely question it. People go, are you just trying to get away with mm-hmm. murder? Mm-hmm. Did that, like... Okay. Yeah. And we'll talk about it later. Um, and so, according to the brothers, um, Jose finds out that Eric has uh, told... Like, every the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. And Jose is just like, you know what? I know you're going to tell other people. I can't have that happen. And so the the brothers at this point are kind of scared that Jose is going to stop and nothing to make sure they don't tell anybody. Got it. Um, and so um, a couple days later on Saturday, August 19th, 1989, the entire family goes out on this chartered boat in the marina and uh, they go shark fishing. And according to the crew, um, Jose is in the back of the boat and he's fishing. Kitty's down below because she's seasick and the boys are at the bow. So everyone's being separated. They said it was really weird. No one was really talking. Um, they're not a loving family yeah yeah exactly um and so the next day on sunday august 20th 1989 the brothers decide to kill their parents wow so jose and kitty are i've got a theory okay they all took seasickness pills and the seasickness pills made them temporarily insane Uh (laughs) uh-huh just the boys just the boys okay great continue We'll, we'll come back to that theory. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever been brought up. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. It's completely made up, but I feel it has merit. You should be a detective. I should be. <laughs> um, so Jose and Kitty are in their den at, at their house, and they're watching this spy who loved me. Um, and in their minds, Lyle and Eric have left for the night. And so at around 10 p.m., Lyle and Eric take two 12-gauge shotguns and shoot both of their parents. These are her moms that she keeps in the closet no different okay um neighbors would later report hearing firecrackers but they didn't think much of it because they're in beverly hills yeah you're just not gonna think that and lyle says during oh so they have this later on they obviously are guilty uh later on they're doing an interview with barbara walters and uh lyle says during the interview that um so they had shot their parents and then they're like 12 shots in the middle of the night and no one calls the police we're waiting at the house and no one shows up and he, in the way he said it, it's kind of like he's putting the blame on the cops yeah. and the surrounding people for not calling the cops. Yeah. And that's why they had to call and lie. <laughs> They're like, we're waiting to for someone to like turn us in, but no one did. So we had to do it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, at 1147, Lyle calls um, 911 and you can hear the 911 call and it's it's awful. Is he pretending... Like he discovered his parents. Is he mm-hmm. saying that he did it? Like, what's the what's the he, bent on he's that? He's pretending that they came home to find that their parents had been shot. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're like overly screaming, overly yelling. They're hysterical. They're all over the place. They're like running through the house. You can hear both of them. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to it? Mm-hmm. It's in the interview. It's in the uh, documentary. <laughs> Stop. I would, yeah. <laughs> um. So the police arrive and they see that Jose um has been shot in the back of the head um four times and that kitty attempted to run away Mm -hmm. during the um incident and she was shot in the leg causing it to break and then she was shot multiple times until they ran out of ammunition and so they had to go out to their car reload and come back and they shot her in the head oh i feel like that came up at trial Mm -hmm. and then they also shot both of them in the kneecaps to make it look like a mob hit got it so it's just excessive yeah. force. Um, they picked up all the shells afterwards and um, 
yeah, it's just you you can't rec- you can't recognize them. And there was more force to Kitty. That's what's so surprising to me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think that that's how one just you know everybody and their moms, but mm-hmm. I don't know. And we'll talk about. I have a theory, and we As talk about what? it later. Yeah. Um. So because both of the brothers at this point are not suspects, the cops don't bring them they, in. Okay, they're like they're like we believe you. There. Yeah, they're like. Why are we going to take them in for questioning when their parents, they're obviously distraught, so they yeah. don't, they don't test their hands for ballistics. They don't look in their car, which if they had looked at their oh, car, that's so bad. Like the you, guns were in you there. You have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regardless of what you think happened. Um, oh, it's so bad. So, um, and so the brothers told them, you know, I think this was a mob hit. I think it was the mafia. Like, yeah. It, and so the police immediately start following that lead. Wow. Um, and so in the meantime, um, Lyle and Eric now have money. Oh yeah. Um, and they buy. So they obviously hadn't adjusted the will and put it through lawyers and like. Well, we'll get to that. Oh. So they actually um had somebody come by on August thirty first to erase the files on Kitty's computer. Uh huh. Hmm. Um. And so they start buying new suits. They start. They bought new like Rolex oh, watches. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, one buys a Porsche. Another one buys a cafe. Wow. Um, so one of them buys a Buffalo Wings restaurant in Princeton, and he names it Mr. Buffalo's. Uh, I think that was Lyle. Um, Eric hires a full-time tennis coach, which uh, is 60K a year, and he starts competing. Is Eric still in high school, or is he graduated now? Um, I'm not sure. I'm guessing he's, like, getting out of high school. Um, he starts competing kind of all over the world. He, like, goes to Israel for, for a tournament. Yeah. Um, they get two separate penthouses and Marina Del Rey and Eric <laughs> at one point gives this guy 40 K to sponsor a rock concert. And the guy takes off with the money. Wow. Mm-hmm. And they're not just in charge of their money. Their uncles are also kind of part of it. And so they're saying, are, they, know, are they blowing through like allowances? I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. But I, I, it sounds like they, they either go to their uncles for advice or they said they did, but essentially in the interview, they're like, well, our uncle's wrote off on all the things we purchased they said it was okay um so within the first six months they spent a million dollars impressive mm-hmm. yeah um and so some if you yeah. spent a million dollars in six months bacon i was gonna say what's the most what's what thing cost the most i would do like a world ticket like a airplane world travel ticket. yeah travel okay Oh, and food. I'm. <laughs> you go on a food tour, a world yes. food tour. Oh, yeah. How fun? Yes. Would it be? I. You'd have a great show that is you traveling the world eating food. <gasps> I can have another podcast. It would be great. No, no, I feel like it's got to be like a show show. Oh, you have to see what I'm eating. You got, yeah. What if it's food? like ASMR and I'm just like. Gross. <laughs> I don't care for that. Okay. <laughs> Someone cares for it. Yeah. I bet you someone cares for it. People care for it. Okay. So in the midst of all this, Eric is still seeing his psychiatrist. Because he he, he obviously appreciates that relationship mm -hmm. and is getting something out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think he needs to talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, Because he killed somebody. Yeah. (laughs) So on October 31st, um, he sits down with Dr. Ozell and he says, we did it. We killed our parents. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And um, he tells them everything, how they went down to San Diego to purchase the shotguns with stolen IDs, um, how they had committed the perfect crime because it was at their house. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to worry about DNA because it's already all yep, over the we place. There. Um, and like they got the shotgun casings. Um, and then um, he just talked about how they dumped the guns and the... My irritation mm-hmm. is that he didn't commit the perfect crime. Mm-hmm. Because the guns were in their car. Like, mm-hmm. they happened to luck out mm-hmm. that the investigation didn't spin towards them at all. Yeah. Had it, they would have been immediately caught. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the sociopath. Correct. Yeah. 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 Good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lyle finds out that Eric has confessed to Dr. Ozeal. And so, on November 2nd, both the brothers go to see the good doctor. Mm-hmm. Not such a good doctor. So Lyle starts to threaten Dr. Ozeal, and he's just like, if you tell anyone, blah, 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 blah. Um, But what they don't know is that Dr. Ozeal is now taping every single session with them. And um, he's, yeah, they do that. Therapists do that. Oh, really? Therapists can tape their sessions. Oh, well, he was doing it. Because they'll use them for notes later. He was doing it. They made it yes, very. Um, and so it's, doc- yeah, it's one thing to have the recording device mm-hmm. out and be like, "All right, we're starting our session." Yeah, yeah. and another to be like, mm, "I'm gonna hit this button." Under yeah, my the desk. brothers had no idea that they were being recorded. Got it. Um, and so Doctor Ozeal actually um has a mit- mistress on the side. Um, Everybody does. Yeah, her name is uh Jude Allen Smith, and um they're having this affair. It's going on for a little bit, and then finally it ends. And so she knows about the tapes. Okay, and, and she's a woman scorned. Yes. And so she uh, goes to the police and she's like, hey, it's not the mafia. It's the brothers. And so. Oh, so there's some pillow talk going on. Mm-hmm. And she understands. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so. um, Good on her. Right. Yeah. And so you hear them talking. Like, there's so many recordings. And you can tell that it was premeditated. Mm-hmm. Like, they say crazy stuff in there. Is any of this admissible? um it was it was in court it was like um it was over a few days they like listened to it because california is california a one-party consent law i don't know so there every state has its own rule about being recorded and some states both people both parties have to know they're being recorded Uh and some states only one party has to know they're being recorded and then in i think other states neither person or neither party can no like yeah. if the fbi has is wiretapping you know what i mean like yeah. there's different rules interesting hmm. but then like later on in court like she actually switches sides and she becomes a witness for the defense and then she says how dr Ozeal um actually beat and raped her and that how he is this crazy like person and he like pressures clients into having sex with him and he had like one client come and clean his house for him as payment for like sessions yeah he is not a good is dude everybody crazy yeah everyone jackie you me kimberly <laughs> <laughs> the toaster uh, <laughs> um and so um on december 8th of 1992 the brothers are taken into custody and so now we're jumping into the trial and it becomes national sensation um it's like a court uh, court tv broadcast and um this is the first of its kind this is before oj <laughs> did you like I that like OJ. <laughs> um and so the media is going crazy um and like snl does a skit on the brothers they were everywhere they were everywhere and it just becomes kind of like a game show and so they are actually tried together but they had two separate juries um yeah go ahead that's great no i'm just like, yeah that's fascinating mm-hmm. 
Um, so Eric's defense attorney, uh, Leslie um, Abramson, she alleges that the brothers were physically and sexually abused by their father. Mm-hmm. So she's like, without a doubt, they did kill their parents. That's not why we're here today. She's arguing to the sympathies of, of yes. the jury. Yeah, we're getting why? to why. Yeah. Um, later in the Barbara Walters interview, um, Eric says that just before the shootings, his, his father told him to go up to his room and that they were going to have sex. And that's when Eric was like, no, no more. And that's when they grabbed the guns. Um, a family member um, actually goes on the stand and confirms that when Eric um, was eight years old, um, he told her about the abuse. So... Um, and like during the, um, defense, like Leslie kept do- calling them the boys. And uh-huh. so everyone's like the boys, the boys, the boys. And yeah. like Eric's 18 at this point and Lyle's 21, yeah. but it was kind of like a psychological yeah, play yeah. to the point where when they wore like sweater vests, like mm-hmm. if they were really, yeah. yeah. And glasses to the point where the prosecutor, cause she's in the a documentary too. She's like, I started calling them the boys and like they got in my she head. Got, got yeah. Me, yeah. Mm-hmm. And well played yeah <laughs> did you or did you not <laughs> step out on stephanie <laughs> if you haven't listened to serial <laughs> you gotta listen to serial uh, it's such a great podcast um so the prosecutors on uh, for their side are saying that the killings were premeditated because they had bought the guns beforehand um mm-hmm. that they said that the excessive force used against their mother didn't make sense and later um they would say that they were trying to put her out of her misery but i was thinking so in my mind I do believe that they were sexually abused. Uh, yeah, as you're talking, like, mm-hmm. can't it be all of it? Yes, definitely. And, like, when you watch their testimony of, like, recounting what happened to them... They went through trauma. They they say details that, like, only a victim would, like, remember. Yeah. And, like, at one point, Lyle admits to abusing Eric. Mm. And you see Lyle on on the stand telling his story and then the camera goes over to Eric and you just see him he's yeah unconsoled like yeah it I do think that they were abused and I maybe the excessive force against their mother was because she She knew she knew about it and didn't do anything I don't know yeah but um I, I I feel like it's everything I think there's a little truth in everything about this case yeah does it justify them killing their parents no because no, they they had an opportunity there was no like life-threatening action i believe mm-hmm. at that night that was going to happen against them um and so the two uh juries become deadlocked and both s- both yes that's crazy to think that you're on a jury knowing that another jury is also talking about it right now. like yeah what a weird i wonder how common that is yeah that's so strange um, so the Los Angeles district attorney immediately announced that the brothers were going to be retried after the deadlock juries. Got it. Uh, oh, because se- that's, whoop, now uh-huh. yep. you either refile the charges or you let it go. Mm-hmm. So the second trial begins, um, and this one is, um, less publicized. The judge does not allow he any cameras. He was like, cameras. oh, okay, that hurt the case. Uh-huh. Um, and then he also didn't allow the sexual abuse allegations to be brought up at all. Mm. Where do you sit on that? I... No, it speaks I, to motive. Yeah, it speaks to motive. So I think it has to be part. And you, it's not just them saying it. Which I get you're trying to keep the emotion out of yeah, it. Yeah, which doesn't even matter if it's just them saying it. But they also have a family member contesting to it. Yeah. Um, I think it should be allowed. It's their truth, or that's yeah. what they're saying. Their motive is yeah. that's their motive for killing their parents. Um. So the brothers went. Um. They actually lost all their money during the first trial and um, lawyers and, mm-hmm. and so for the second trial they had to be represented by the state yeah. and the jury um 
rejected the defense uh, theory that the brothers killed their parents out of fear, but rather believed that the murders were committed with the intent of gaining control of their parents' wealth because they didn't see the sexual abuse yeah. part of it. I also feel like that could be both. Definitely. And why not? Yeah, yeah. definitely be both. Um, and on July 2nd, 1996, Lyle and Eric are sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, on September 10th of 1996, the brothers are separated and they are sent to different prisons and both are classified in uh, maximum security inmates and were segregated from other prisoners. Mm. Um, Just because like so famous. Yeah, I think so. And so now I'm going to jump into life in prison. Okay. Um, so they're like a sensation. Mm -hmm. So they start getting thousands of letters a week from fans. We should have a whole episode on Prison Wives. <laughs> okay. It's fascinating. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sad. I, li I would like to sit down with, like, a psychologist or somebody to, like... I told you I started that documentary that I can't find. Oh, if I... someone can find this documentary... What is it? So I started to watch one, and it was all about Prison Wives. Like, women that write to men on death row and start these relationships and marry them mm -hmm. and sometimes have conjugal visits, sometimes don't, and that... More often than not, they're incredibly intelligent, mm -hmm. but they had some sort of trauma in their past, and there's control over the relationship. So Definitely. it's yeah. that you know where they are at all times. Mm -hmm. It's that you know that you're safe because you know they're in prison and they can't get to you. Yeah. It's then even if you're visiting them, you're in a secure, secure place. Definitely. Yeah. So there's a lot of control over. Like it's it was so interesting, but it was. It was such a depression session. Like, I couldn't finish that documentary. Like, I was like, whoo, I need to take a break from this. Yeah. And, then I can't, and now I can't find it. I don't know if I was on YouTube or yeah. I, I don't know where it was. I've looked. If you guys can find it, um, message us on Instagram. But, like, the whole documentary was about that yeah. world and relationships. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so, they get all these letters. And in January of 1997, Lyle marries a longtime pen pal, Anna uh, Erickson. And she's this former model. Uh, the marriage lasts about... Uh, less than a year and she reportedly caught lyle cheating on her because he was like writing to other women yeah. um so in november of 2003 lyle then 35 marries rebecca sneed and she's 33 years old she's a magazine editor um she's from sacramento and they have this ceremony in the maximum security visiting area um at mule creek state prison where's that it's in california yeah but where i've heard of that Mule Creek State Prison. Mule is my tie to my cocktail. Holy hell. <laughs> nice job. Thanks. Uh, the mule. I'm, I'm annoyed, but I like yes. it. Yes. Such a good tie, right? Oh, my ha, God. Ha, 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 ha. You how your, does she do how it? How does she do it? One day I might tell I, you. I got to know secret. where that prison is. I feel like I've driven past it. And Lyle and Rebecca have uh, reportedly known each other um, prior to this. So they've known each other for like 10 years. But yeah. he's been in prison for that long. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and uh, interesting side fact, in California, um, for max maximum security, I believe, uh, there's no conjugal visits. You have to be a minimum? I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Um, in June of 1999, Eric, then 28, marries Tammy Ruth, um Sacoman. <laughs> she's 37 um and he's at Folsom State Prison and they get married in the prison wa uh, waiting mm. room and their wedding cake was a twinkie <laughs> from the commissary mm -hmm. 
Um, and so kind of updates with their case. In 2016, the new California law says that uh, defendants found guilty after being barred from using physical or sexual abuse as a defense may be allowed to appeal their oh, conviction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so they've been trying to do their yeah. appeals and they haven't been able to. Okay. Um, and they've been separated for like over 20 uh, 20 years at this point That's in the story wild. uh-huh and they keep like writing to be like please let us be together please yeah, yeah, let yeah. us be together Do they write to each other like, oh yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. they they've been writing together like for years um and they have like a long-standing chess game going on in the letters oh that's a trip uh-huh yeah huh. well you got time um and then in 2018 they were actually finally granted permission to be in the same prison together ah. um and so what's that i wonder what the stats are how long california has been a no conjugal visits in mm -hmm. maximum and like what the aggression levels are for people attacking each other oh yeah like if you let them get the rocks off are they calmer with each other <laughs> or does it not matter huh interesting interesting case <laughs> um another uh, little tidbit on the case um a letter that was written by eric uh to his cousin andy uh cano in december of 1988 was found um so in the letter um he is writing about the molestation by his father i think it happened and then uh, at that point eric would have been 17 and andy would have been 15 um but andy has um since passed away oh so um they they couldn't ask andy about it um, and so, um, another little side thing, OJ Simpson. Yeah. So, um, their case was going on a little bit before OJ's. OJ's hits the fan and it's like sensation sensationalized. Um, and so it, OJ gets taken into custody and, um, Eric is actually in the same jail as OJ. Damn. And so he's in his cell and he looks over and he's like, what the fuck is all this commotion? And he's been watching, he can see it on TV that with like the OJ thing. He's like, oh my God, I think OJ's coming. And so he sees him clear out a cell and Whoa. they make room for OJ. OJ. Uh huh. Fresh. <laughs> That wasn't even intentional. That's funny. And so OJ comes in and he starts talking to OJ. Yeah. And he's like, you don't know, you might not remember this, but I actually met you with my brother back in 1970 when my dad worked for Hertz. OJ was a Hertz. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then OJ would go see his attorney. And when he was waiting for his attorney in the, like the waiting room, yeah. he would start talking to Lyle fascinating and so they were all like chatty chatty um and then so some feel that because oj got off in his case because lyle and eric at this point are waiting for their second trial got it so because oj got off on his case um the state wanted like retribution mm -hmm. and so when their case came up that's, that's why, why they like, got can't in, yeah can't include this yeah. can't like mm -hmm. we, we need some convictions yes yeah, exactly some high profile convictions yeah what right now without expanding too much oh, no. what are you watching or reading or seeing or listening to like what i'll tell everyone when my favorite murder called out <gasps> killer cocktails Dre, i lost oh. her goddamn mind oh you guys if you first of all i was in bed <laughs> getting text messages and then marco polo's uh -huh. and a bunch of madness mm -hmm. and at first i was like it is blown. all right fine i have to like respond and i was like oh this is very exciting so i've been re-listening to my favorite murder old um episodes and when a new one comes up i'll listen to it and so i was like oh sweet a new one so i start getting ready for bed i i've had a couple martinis at this point and that's like, dangerous a couple martinis <laughs> and I'm, I'm upstairs and i'm like getting in my pjs and then i hear georgia um cite her resources for the uh 
dorky darkest Kelly and um, Case. And I was like, oh, I covered that. That's pretty rad. I wonder how she's going to like cover the story. And then she's like, and I'd like to give a shout out to a podcast called Killer Cocktails. And I was like, I must have been daydreaming. (laughs) And I like heard that in my head. So I was like, man, I'll go back and I'll listen to it again. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then I kept listening to it. And then, yeah, that's when the text started going out on the Marco Polos. Um, that was like my idols. Yeah, I know. And like, that means she listened to our podcast and um, that was really cool. It was very exciting. Oh no. I'm going to cry. <laughs> 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 Woo. Uh, no, that was, that was super sweet. Um, and I'm very appreciative. So that, that was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. What are you listening to watching? I'm rewatching. I think I've caught up to what I've already seen. Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, nice. Having a, a grand old giggle <laughs> at that. Very funny, terrible show. Yeah, really, really wonderfully done. Oh, you guys, super side thing. Yeah, whatever. It's long, uh, but I'll wrap it up. We got the Regal Unlimited pass. <laughs> Get down because there's if, a- you, if you have a uh, what's the other one. If, if you have an AMC, like, you just got to get in on this watching movies business. So there's a Black Friday special. Anyways, we got it. We're going to go see Unlimited Movies. But what I'm trying to get out is go see Knives Out. Oh, it was really good. It is such a great movie. Knives Out was great. Go see Knives Out, guys. It's so, it's, it's amazing. What about that other one? <sighs> no, don't go see that other one. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to wrap this up. Um, as always, you've been wonderful. You have been wonderful. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up to date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.